Hello, welcome to our first ever Ladies College podcast. Uh, my name is Danielle Harford Fox and I'm the principal. And today with me are two of our head girl team, uh, Ria and Sophie. Do you want to say hello? Hello, I'm Ria. Hi, I'm Sophie. And I thought what we would do as our first session is to talk about our upcoming big debate, um, a motion that actually we've probably, us three, have been talking about for a while, haven't we? Um, a sort of an idea that, that's we've been bashing around. The debate motion that we're going to be discussing that actually Sophie and I are going to be debating uh, in a couple of weeks time is that this house believes that sexism is worse today than it was 30 years ago, which I guess seems counterintuitive. Um, But I thought we'd maybe chat about it today. We haven't actually chatted about this motion specifically, so I'll be interested to hear what you think. Um, So gut instinct, first off, which way of the side of the debate would you fall on? What do you think? Sophie, you go first because you're debating it. I think the reason I picked my side of the debate, which is that it's worse now than 30 years ago, is because my initial reaction was to say that it was worse 30 years ago. So I wanted to um, uh-huh. sort of push my understanding of, of what I think anti-feminism and, and misogyny is today. That's interesting. So you, so actually, intuitively, you think it was worse 30 years ago. Yeah. But you were like, let's take the devil's advocate position. Great. Absolutely. Okay. okay. And Ria, what about you? I would agree with Sophie that initially I thought of the classic kind of ideology that, well, we've got the vote and all that and all of the progression that we've made. But then taking a step back, you kind of see how much more we still have to go. Yeah. And initially also, I just thought, well, we've got so much, but kind of taking a step back and also kind of just looking around at different resources out there, you see how much further we still have to go and kind of how normalized it can be just little comments and stuff like that on sexism and such yeah so do you think where your position is that we've got further to go on the journey but do you think that we've come further on the journey than maybe we were in the 90s I think that truly depends on who you are as a person and kind of what privileges you have as such because it it completely depends on where you are in the world who you are which unfortunately is the case and it shouldn't be. So I think we have somewhere to go with that. But I think from where I'm sat in my life, I've definitely got a lot that other people don't. So do you know the phrase intersectional feminist? Have you heard that phrase? I've heard it floating around, but I don't do either completely of you, know. Do you, Sophie, you feel like you know Yeah, what it, I think I have an understanding of it in that there's a feminism which includes white women and women and transgender women lgbtq women and um and women of color and then uh the intersectionalist part would be including all of them whereas there are some branches which would take certain groups and um kind of remove them from their experience as a woman that's yeah, my understanding I think from from what Rhea was saying i think you're talking about intersectional feminism because i one thing that really struck me i remember the moment that you know, I've been reading stuff sort of saying, you know, the feminist movement has been dominated by white feminists. I'm obviously a white feminist. Um, and then I realized that I'd been quoting um, the statistic around uh, women's pay gap, um, depending on whether you're in America or the UK, which, by the way, is often what we quote. It's around 87% on the dollar. So 87 cents on the dollar is a, is a woman's salary. But that's not true. 87 cents on the dollar is a white woman's salary. A black woman's salary is 65 cents on the dollar. And a, a Hispanic woman's salary is 55 cents on the dollar. And so when I realised that the feminist movement has been talking about 87 cents, cents I realised that actually that's a really good example of intersectional. So when you talk about um, maybe it has got better for us, what women are you thinking it hasn't got better for? Definitely people who are more in poverty don't have as much 
economic stability and then also going back to race with um, black women, Hispanic women, but also um, members of the LGBTQ plus community. Right. So you feel like we haven't made the same progress since the 90s. Yeah, I think we're get- we are trying, obviously, yep. but the outcomes aren't where they should be. Yeah. And what about you, Sophie? When, why did you intuitively at the beginning think actually it was probably worse in the 90s? So I think looking at employment opportunities now and actual legislation which prevents discrimination against women um, is a huge step. And I suppose when I thought of 30 years ago, the 90s wasn't actually where my mind went to. Yeah. I was thinking 70s and 80s, not yeah. just because I'm not great at maths, but, <laughs> um, because of uh, laws on women doing their own taxes guaranteed maternity leave so yeah okay so we feel like we can see clear progress since sort of 70s 80s 90s so if you were then flipping on the other side because I'm interested that you actually intuitively felt that way because I think that I would have felt that maybe you did feel like it was starting to get worse again and I just wonder what would make you feel like it was getting worse again I would go with the kind of hot topic Mm -hmm. at the moment which is Andrew Tate just that kind of influence that because I think when we think about sexism like you immediately think about feminism and then kind of anti-feminists and um, I think Andrew Tate he what he does is that he kind of tries to influence those young vulnerable men mm-hmm. and those are the men that are going to be growing up to society so it's kind of getting that ideology out there and it continues to grow yeah whilst we're trying to put it out in a sense and do you do you feel that in the young men that you know that that kind of ideology that they're aware of things like Andrew Tate and that that ideology is in some ways taking root definitely unfortunately that is the case whether they knowingly um quote his ideas or not or whether it's just a joke the idea that well, the fact that it's kind of seeping into everyone's daily lives is quite scary because whether or not that's directly influencing you as a person, it will influence people around you. Yeah. What thing, Sophie, what do you see of, what do you hear back? What ideas are you hearing back from the, the young men of your age? Um, so I think what I've noticed primarily is a a shift. It's It's not a new movement as a student of history I've like I've looked at patterns of um when you're trying to start a movement within a certain group uh, what kind of tactics to use so this shift which has been seen before in history is onto the idea of masculinity and there is this target on masculinity in this um ideology that we're seeing that um traditional ideas of men and what men should be are under attack somehow by feminists or um, by anyone not uh, encompassed under that umbrella um, of being a white male. Um, So seeing the kind of freedoms that they think are under attack, that um, they don't have power over women anymore, that their rights of freedom of speech are um, being attacked, which is just a complete misconception. The um, lack of education, I think, really shows there that they don't understand 
what freedom of speech is, that it's governments not getting involved in in what opinions you're able to express, not that there are no consequences when you're deciding to express misogynistic and um, offensive, harmful comments. Yeah, I think one of the things that's interesting on that, because we hear that a lot at the moment, don't we? Um, there's no freedom of speech. And I think we do hear it from from this backlash that's coming from the young men that I'm not allowed to say anything anymore. And I think that that's because maybe women are feeling more entitled to challenge. So I definitely think when I grew up in the 90s um, that I was kind of taught to like laugh along. You know what I'm saying it was ladette culture, lad culture, that the way that you, the concept of feminism at that point was that you can do exactly the same as the men and be just like the men, but therefore you weren't threatening really anything about male culture. Like you were trying to be like men. And so therefore in some ways it was reinforcing of masculinity. So you were making kind of sexual innuendo jokes as well to like get in with that group. And now I think that maybe your generation of women, and maybe you could say whether you think this, feel okay to start saying actually that's not okay I'm not comfortable with that objectifying language I'm not comfortable with that comment and that is I worry that that is um that the back the experience then on the male side is um a feeling of uh anxiety and potentially shame and so when you get a shame response that can either lead to them changing their behavior or it can lead to that changing into anger and I think that maybe that's what I suspect is happening what do you what do you guys think I was just, I found it interesting you talking about when you were growing up in the 90s, being able to, to join in on it and that being a necessity for, you know, emotional survival in those kind of environments. Uh, and it made me reflect on what kind of things are socially acceptable as a female in a group of predominantly men in our social circles. And I think if you were to try and join in in lad culture in that way, you might be subjected to the label of a pick-me girl. I don't yeah. know uh, to what extent yeah. you're aware of that, but I think that... I am, but probably other people aren't. So do you want to explain what a pick-me girl is? So a pick-me girl, I think it comes from Grey's Anatomy. Is that right? Oh, it's, I don't know. It's I, Meredith I've come across Grey, it online. I think so, yeah. And she yeah. says, so pick me, choose me, love, love me. me. So right. it's a pick-me girl is someone who uh, does things for male attention, supposedly, who expresses interests and opinions that align with traditional male values um who might have a desire to assert herself outside of her gender and to say that she's one of the boys yes and I think this is really interesting because as a psychologist as a psychologist we would say that's identifying with the aggressor which I don't think I knew I was doing but I absolutely look back and think that's exactly what I was doing I remember having the thought that I think that I'm capable of anything but I'm not certain that other girls are I'm saying the internalized misogyny was really strong and I think that there's a the identify with the aggressor is a, a concept we have in psychology which is when you're faced with aggression from somebody you want like you have to resolve well when we when you're faced with aggression from somebody you have to find a way to to resolve that so you could either like panic and hide or you could try and make them your friend and so you try and become like them so they're no longer a threat to you and I think that women have had to try a variety of strategies to be accepted into male environments. And I think in the 90s, that strategy was to identify with the aggressor, right? To like try and become like them. So therefore you're no longer a threat to them. Um, that you also objectify women. Do you know what I'm saying? That you, um, so, and therefore you're not a threat to the culture. Whereas, as you say, now that's got a word, a pick me girl, which is almost sort of shaming that behavior again. I'm not saying against that. That's how we create social changes through shame. But therefore... I don't know where does that where does that leave I guess young men and young women and how they resolve these moments. Do you know what I'm saying like that's quite tricky, isn't it? 
Yeah, so I'd say that we're kind of on a shift. Mm -hmm. So people tend to have the idea that young girls, they don't have the voice and like them growing up is them kind of finding the voice. Um, But I watched, uh, I think it was a Jubilee YouTube video lately and it was um, feminists versus anti-feminists. And those videos are really interesting because they will say a prompt and then they'll discuss it. And the prompt was that um, people aren't born with their voices. And they talked about young girls and how they they do have their voice, and but them growing up isn't learning like that they have their voice, but how to utilise their voice. So I think with the pick-me thing, um, that's in a sense you're trying to be comfortable and fit in with them so that you don't feel threatened. And then there's the smiling and going along with it because you don't want to cause any like disruption or any conflict. So I think we're slowly shifting away. So there's been the pick me. Um, that's still there, but it is um, hopefully that will start to fade a bit. Then we have the smile. But I know for a fact that now a lot of girls are getting more confident to um, speak their mind and challenge opposing views when they think that's right so I think as a leader of a girls school I'm really excited that young women are starting to feel like the confidence to articulate their voices and I'm just wondering how I guess how Andrew Tate and how that kind of rise in misogyny is whether Jim's saying that backlash that's happening how you're experiencing that I think um maybe it'd be worth because some people won't know that much about Andrew Tate and Andrew Tate is just the you know, the follower of from Jordan Peterson, who just follows on from Red Pill and Black Pill. And if people are interested in that, just uh, put in Red Pill and incels into the internet and you'll see the rabbit hole uh, of misogyny that's growing online. But I'm interested in like the teenage experience of what that is. Do you know what I'm saying? As, as we get this kind of growth in online misogyny, what are the views and the beliefs that are being thrown back to you about women or about how men and women should interact that are coming from from that kind of environment? So Andrew Tate, he kind of delivers the message that, you know, the men, they're the strong ones, they need to take care of the women, which by all means, if it's the woman's choice to kind of be looked after or to not work and all that, that's what feminism is about, to have that choice. But Andrew Tate kind of also puts this kind of pinpoints um, men or young boys into having a specific role for the women and for um, them to constantly be strong and basically bringing back all of these kind of toxic masculinity ideas and also how the classic boys they should be strong they shouldn't cry all of that which is quite detrimental to the um, male mental health which is definitely a very prominent um, thing going on in society especially with all those um, statistics that we see going around. So I think it's quite detrimental. People tend to think how his words are only affecting women, but they equally do affect men and their thinking, which will just affect society badly in general. Yeah, because I think he did what most good people, you know, Sophie earlier alluded to history and, and you don't you don't win people over by coming in with really provocative messages. You Well, to a degree you can, but you actually come in by speaking to some kind of need, first of all. And I feel like he does a good job of um, speaking to some need, which is that he reinforces the idea of giving men a role, right? That they should be strong and powerful and protectors. And that... 
I mean, I would have problems with that role, but I can see how that's attractive to some people. And it's only from there that you start to go down the rabbit hole, I think, of Andrew Tate. And underneath that, you you know, he says he's proudly a misogynist. Um, he uh, he believes that, you know, women, from my understanding, that women uh, women shouldn't really be having sex that much before. Uh, that if women have sex before they're in a relationship, that reduces their value. Whereas if men have sex a lot, that increases their value. Um, he essentially believes that women should be owned and controlled by men, I would say. Um, and I think he, he sort of proudly says that. I don't think he sort of hides behind that. Um, and I agree with you. I think that this is really problematic for male mental health um, because I think the lack of vulnerability, having taught boys, I think this story that boys are less emotional and should be stronger and that their value comes from their level of power is what leaves them unable to get the support that they need when they are feeling vulnerable, which they feel equally as vulnerable as women. I'm saying like young women struggle just as much as women, but they aren't able to seek the support. But I'm interested in like how it feels, how it plays out in terms of how you find interacting with boys your age. I'm saying how does, what do you think? So how does this sort of play out in that dynamic? Do you think, do you see a kind of change that's coming from this sort of online manosphere stuff? Do you see a change in, in how young men are treating you or some young men are treating you? So I think to to link this back to what's um, whether sexism is worse than it was thirty years ago um, is that Andrew Tate isn't um, he isn't projecting those chivalrous traditional mm-hmm. slightly harmful um, older views that that women are timid and and need protecting and um, you can't hit a woman obviously and uh, that that women belong in the home these kind of things that women have got used to to hearing um and he he's taken that he doesn't subscribe to that he shifts it and uh instead promotes violence against women um and he's more on the side of have you heard the equal rights equal fights that kind of attitude and i think that's what's really being taken into the male the young male psyche at the moment that um maybe women are equal and that means that men have to reassert their dominance over them that it's not the women need pressing down it's that men should naturally be on top yeah um and that to take back that kind of natural evolutionary biological role which is being pushed on them um they have to use physical assertion they have to use violence um i think that would be the shift that I especially see online rather than in personal interactions because I don't think in person the men who are subscribing to these views are as overt. They, mm-hmm. I don't think they feel 100% safe in these views but it's definitely moving that way which is much more harmful for them to see nothing wrong in the same way that Andrew Tate does, like, to see nothing wrong with the views that they yeah. have. I, as a psychologist, I'm interested in it. Um you know, I've been thinking about what I want to say in the debate and why I do think that this is different from from the way we were before. And I think you started to, to pick it up, which is I think that if I thought about the sexism I encountered when I was in the 90s, like, you know, when I was trying to be a theatre director, I was told by the male head of the theatre I was working at that I should be a stage manager because women are organised and men are creative. Um, and my, my Oxford tutor um, accused me of cheating on an essay because he said that women don't write in a kind of hard analytical style. So I must have copied it from someone else. Right. But I think if those in those men, I don't think they knew they were being sexist or intentionally suppressing me as a woman. I think 
if I had found a way to not to through humor and gentleness expose what they were doing I think that they would have been open to reflecting and changing in that behavior and so I think much of the sexism I've encountered is kind of culturally um, internalized sexism that isn't deliberate or intentional do you know I'm saying like it's like historic kind of structures and most men that I grew up with probably would have wanted equality for women I think what feels different now is that there is a kind of rise in an almost um uh, radical ideology um, like emotional ideology that actually uh, men should be the ones with power and women should be submitting them and so then that becomes really difficult doesn't it because it becomes difficult to engage that conversation with young men and it becomes difficult to know with young women how or women how we respond to this growing online community that at its heart believes that women should reduce themselves in order to submit to men okay so well then let's try and pull it back to the debate then so is sexism worse 30 years ago than it was today it sounds like it's sort of different so I feel like we feel like some fights have got better haven't they um what what where where do you see if we were summarizing we were like on balance these things seem better for women than they were for your mother's generation um I would say being someone who you know at the age we are we're being presented with potential opportunities for the rest of our life I think um I feel privileged to grow up now and have all these opportunities presented in front of me with no internal dialogue and nothing external that's telling me because I'm a woman I can't do any of these options that I can't pursue anything that I do want to yeah which I is think quite that's big a, yeah that's a huge shift um and something that can't be underestimated in terms of generationally once you've got a generation of women who were given those choices the entire um workforce looks starts to look very different once you you've got that change being filtered through great and for you Ria what what do you see that has, has grown since your mother's generation I would definitely say all of the opportunities that we get and I like now at least the experience that I've had for all the opportunities that I've got or the things that I've um kind of worked for that I've not got them based on my gender or based on who I am and it's not as if it's a favor whereas I know this may still happen in like other in workplaces obviously I I don't know that I'm not aware of that yet but um it's not kind of a token like okay you're a woman okay you it looks like we're diversifying everything now everything that we get is um something that we work for or something that we're given especially at school I think Mm -hmm. um we're so lucky in the sense that we're also educated really well on um not only like all of our subjects and such but on like social issues and cultural issues around us so that when we go out into the world it's not completely like us being ignorant and not being aware of everything around us whereas I feel like in the past you were kind of kept in a box and all you knew is what was around you so if you were in a privileged position that's all you knew whereas now we've got access to all sorts of internet whether that be good or bad with Andrew (laughs) Tate um but we're definitely more self-aware and I think the only way for us to move forward um in society is by constantly pushing these boundaries and challenging 
the stuff that's around us and especially as women to not kind of back down with our voices and just to keep going because there's definitely um, a lot of work that needs to still be done but equally we should every now and again look back and see um, admire what has been achieved so far well I was going to ask you what advice you give to students but I feel like that was quite beautifully that was quite beautifully done Um, so thank you very much Um, quite a sort of intense and deep conversation for our first podcast we'll have to go light next time Um, but yeah I think interesting stuff I think the rise of Andrew Tate, I think everyone became very aware of over Christmas, but it's a conversation we've been having, you know, um, for well before that, haven't we? Um, and I think that it is important for people to understand that there's a, there is a growing online movement that perhaps many people in my generation are unaware of because it's happening in the generation below. Um, and I think that the next challenge in terms of um, equality is going to be thinking about how we tackle that. And I don't think there are any super simple answers because as you, as we've been saying, you can't simply disprove some of these theories, but also they're coming often from a place of psychological vulnerability or need, you know, a feeling of people not knowing how to express their voices or how to find a role for themselves um, or how to just navigate a world in which um, women are feeling more entitled to take up space. Um, and so I think that'll be a really interesting challenge as we move forward. Thank you both very much. Uh, and thank you everyone for listening. And we look forward to our next podcast. <laughs>